Welcome to episode number 124 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. And through this podcast, myself and my co-host, Chris Knutson, try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every episode. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. At the Engineering Management Institute, we believe that in order to be the best civil engineer you can be, you must consistently get better, get better at your craft, your people skills, and as a leader. And that's why we published this free podcast to help you do just that. In this episode, I'm going to be taking you with me to downtown Philadelphia. We're visiting the offices of Pannoni, where we will be talking with Joseph Viscuso, Senior Vice President and Director of Strategic Growth. Joe's going to talk to us about smart cities and specifically about understanding how important it is to embrace technology, be innovative, so that other people, other companies don't just fly by you. And Joe made this really cool analogy kind of throughout this entire episode. It kept coming up where we're talking about cities getting smarter and adopting technology, but at the same time, engineering companies need to get smarter and adopt new technologies and new ways to do things. And so do you in your career. It was a really, really interesting conversation. I'm excited to share it with you. As I mentioned, Joe is the director of strategic growth at Pannoni, which includes involvement in all new initiatives and technologies. He's active in the Smart City Council and is a member of the Urban Mobility Task Force. He has spoken at various industry events on the use of innovative smart solutions. He has more than 40 years of experience in a wide range of projects involving urban land engineering, roadway and highway design, utility and drainage design, environmental infrastructure, energy and sustainability, all aspects of different types of projects. And you're going to hear that when we put Joe in the civil engineering hot seat at the end of this episode. We really dive into his career a little bit and he's got some great advice. So before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors do help us keep it free. So I ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI's newest podcast sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast-to-coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. I'll tell you more about Mazer Consulting a little bit later on in the episode. I've mentioned this on several episodes now. We're building a tool called the Current Management Abilities Potential, or CMAP, diagnostic tool. And this tool was built by just doing research of all the data that we've had. And we hired an outside data analytics firm to try to understand what's made great engineering managers of the past. And we think we've boiled it down to four key drivers. And using those drivers, we've created this diagnostic tool to help engineers, engineering managers, engineering companies to try to diagnose their management and leadership skills and see where they need to improve. Is it on the project management side of things? 
Is it on the people management side of things? Is it the way you engage your staff and your employees? And I'm telling you this because right now we're doing a case study to finalize the tool and we're taking 200 managers that want to be a part of the case study at no charge to them. And it will be a 360 style. So if you decide that you want to do this case study, if you manage a project or an individual, you're eligible. What you'll have to do is just email us, betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Let Betty know you're interested in the CMAP case study. Betty will set you up with the links and everything that you need to make it very easy to get your reports to assess you, your supervisors to assess you, and you assess yourself. You will get awesome feedback and you'll also help us to build this tool. So if you're interested in the CMAP case study, please email Betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. With that, let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week with Joseph Viscuso, which by the way, is also being broadcast on YouTube at our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. All right, let's jump in. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Anthony Fasano from the Engineering Management Institute, and I'm excited to be here at the offices of Pannoni with Joe Viscuso, Director of Strategic Growth. Joe, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks, Anthony. Glad to be here. So before we get into the topic of smart cities and technology a little bit, let's just talk about you for a minute. Maybe you can introduce yourself in terms of your career journey and, and the areas you focused in. Uh, out of college, a uh, civil engineer, became a project manager in a small local firm, uh, started my own firm in um, 1979, a firm called Brandywine Valley Engineers. Uh, started with a partner, grew that to over a 20-year period to, uh, uh, with 50 employees in a couple locations. Did a, an acquisition back then. I've always been involved in the, in the uh, merger and acquisition field also. Mm. Then I uh, merged my firm with a firm in New York, uh, Volmer Associates, in uh, 1997. Put the two firms together. The funny thing about that was I had 50 employees. They had 300. And I was laughed at how I was going to survive in a large firm uh, <laughs> like that. When you say that today, it sounds kind of archaic that 350 people in, in a firm was large. Yeah, right? for sure. Uh, it's very small by some of the today's standards, really. But uh, that was my thought process back then. Became a partner in that firm. Uh, we grew that through both organic and, and uh, acquisitions uh, to about 650 people. And then we sold that firm to Stantec. Joined Stantec in 2007 and uh, was a, um, the director of, um, kind of had a strategic growth initiative for them also in a retail commercial sector. Um, spent five years with them. And I really, uh, at the end of that uh, period, um, uh, moved over to Pannonia in 2012, take on this role of um, director of strategic growth, because mm. I really do like, I'm a top-line person. I've always been a top-line person. Sure. I don't get, uh, although obviously very important, you know, when I knew had my own firm, you have to worry about the bottom line. You always worry about the bottom line. But I've always been a, a top-line uh, person. My feeling in this business was if the top line, if the funnel was filled and the top line was always growing, that you really wouldn't worry too much about the bottom line. It would right. take care of itself. So that's kind of been my thing over the years. Before you got to your title of strategic growth, it seems that there's just a theme of growth in your right. career, right? You started your own business, you grew it. You went with Vollmer, you grew that firm. Right. You know, come to Pannoni, focus on strategic growth. So that's exciting to me because that's energy, right? When you're growing something, it's exciting. And so let's get into this a little bit. I know you spend a lot of time traveling to different cities, different venues to talk about innovation, look into different technologies. Why is that important to the future of firms in our field? The technology is, is growing faster today. It's, it's growing exponentially, right? Uh, going back to when I had my own firm, right, and the introduction of CAD. If you think about that, right? right. That was like 1986 and explaining to the engineers in our firm that we were going to go to, 
you know, automated drafting, you know, you know, CAD, and, yeah. and, and people say that'll never work, that'll <laughs> never happen. Engineers always have a tendency, I think because we're engineers, we have a tendency to push back on technology, even though we're early adopters and early innovators. It's always like, well, that can't happen. That'll never happen. You right. can never do this, right? You think about it today and you say, how would life be in this, in engineering, in any profession of engineering without CAD? Even that early technology, to me, you know, almost seems like the dinosaur age when you think about it. And it was crawling back then. Yeah. But today, technology is, it's, when I say exponential, it's exponential. Yeah, it is. Right? And so, for the engineering professionals listening to this, yes, we know technology is evolving rapidly. And it's critically important. You have to innovate as firms, as, as even as individuals. But how is that really going to change the everyday landscape of the engineering profession? Like, how will people actually see it in action? So common analogy that I've been using, um, you know, we talk a lot about when you peel the onion back to a project, a project will always be a project when you get to the project. But, you know, working with your clients, working with, you know, agencies, however, when to get to the core of that onion, using technologies that we've never used before, or the, it's kind of where I see the, the, the change is happening. So, for example, we do a lot of municipal work here at Panetti. We do a lot of, of road programs. Uh, for years and years, the, you know, a road program was, there have been sophisticated uh, techniques out there with LIDAR and other things for doing road right. analysis, pavement analysis, I should say, sure. doing pavement analysis. But small municipal clients could never afford uh, that type of technology. It was, it was, it was saved for your DOTs and, and some of your you know, higher agencies that, that had the money to spend. But a small municipality was not going to use that kind of technology. Um, there's technologies today out there that, uh, you know, uh, using artificial intelligence nothing but a, an Android phone to do the analysis of, you know, to do pavement analysis. Very affordable. You're gathering this data differently. The previous way to do pavement analysis was, was very subjective. It was eyes on the road, the civil engineer going around to, to all the roads, looking at them, trying to make an analysis uh, visually of road A being worse than, than road B mm. or being, road, you know, better than road C right. or D or E, right? Um, so very subjective analysis because if you do that over a two, three-day period, you may be doing half the, the, the municipality, I may be doing the other half. Right. Your analysis is different than my analysis, right? So very subjective, right? When you start to bring in this analysis using artificial intelligence, it doesn't take very long. I can do, a, do an entire municipality in, in four hours, right. right, using this technology. Now it's very objective. The, the Android phone and the artificial intelligence has done the analysis right. that we used to do. At the end of the day, now I've got the data. Now I'm to the core of the onion. Now it's a project, Right. I'm going to do the project the same way I would have done it in the past, but now I've got a lot more data, a lot more analytics, and not a lot more information, objective information, to explain to my client why we're doing these roads, why th this road is more important than that road, hmm. um, right? So at the, at the core of the onion, there's still the same project. Right. We're still going to put a project, a, road, a, a program out to bid to resurface a certain amount of roads or re, you know, rehab a certain amount of roads, but how I got to, that, to the core of that onion was much different, and I think that's what you're going to see is the techniques that we're using are going to be much, much different than techniques in the past. That's interesting. What I like about that is that you still need the professional engineer to look at the data, right. come up with scenarios and options for the clients, express that to the clients, present that to the clients. So you're not removing them completely, but you're giving them tools to give you more data, better data, quicker right. data, which is great because at the end of the day, like Joe says, a project is a project. You've got a budget, you've got a scope, you've got a schedule, you've got some constraints. But the way we navigate those constraints and those different aspects of the project can change dramatically right. and can make it easier, can make it faster, and really 
can get better tools available to municipalities, like you said, that used to be cost prohibitive right. because of the innovation and how it's evolving. Right. So let's jump into smart cities. That's really wanted to come and talk to you about. You've done a lot of research on this. You've been all over the place on this. Before we jump into it, for those watching or listening that don't know what a smart city is at all, can you just right. break it down for us to start? Right. Smart cities, you know, it's a term you hear all everywhere really mm-hmm. today, right? Every city wants to, quote, be smart, right? right? As I, I said, um, uh, you know, a few months ago when I was somewhere, there's an opposite to smart, right? And you don't want to be the opposite right. to it, uh, <laughs> right? We were joking that the politically correct term is, you know, challenge. So we won't. <laughs> so if you're not smart, you're going to be challenged. But I think that kind of what is a smart city? Smart city is a city or, or a municipality. So we shouldn't limit ourselves to cities because it's any municipal government, right? The USA is made up, or the world is made up of smaller sure. municipal so entities that are not quote cities. So, right. we, so any municipal government. But the idea is that the, you know the citizenry, and we were involved with a with a big worldwide study last year. We can talk about it in a little bit. But the citizenry is is really uh, residents, businesses, the stakeholders in a city are expecting things quote today to be smart. There's apps for everything right. that we do out there. It's a city that's that's using technology um, to its advantage to improve uh, things like mobility, things like um, you know payment systems within the city, parking systems within the city, yep. trash collection within the city, uh, lighting and energy use within the city. It's using all the technologies that I just talked to you a few minutes ago about, right, to the advantage of its stakeholders. And the stakeholders expect it. If you're not going to be smart, if you're not known to be using those technologies, businesses, people are not going to live in the cities. And so therefore... Um, the cities that are that have the, the smart nomenclature are going to attract the best and the brightest, whether it's residents or whether it's businesses. And it's really an economic development. I see it more as an economic development play today. And the cities that don't embrace it are going to, you know, to be challenged. And it goes right, even back to firms, right? Firms that, that embrace the technology will attract the, the best and the yeah. brightest. Firms that don't embrace the technology, the employees will shy away from. I've been talking a lot, uh, you know, about if you roll back in time, go back to like the Industrial Revolution and kind of what the Industrial Revolution brought to the development of some of a lot of cities in the U.S. But the Industrial Revolution took place over decades. The death of the Industrial Revolution took place over decades and people didn't see it coming. So so a city like a Pittsburgh, for example, that was completely wrapped around the steel industry and didn't see that that was changing. Right. Right. They died a slow death. You won't die a slow death in the technological revolution, because it's, ha- it's not happening in decades. It's happening in months, it's happening years, very quickly. right? So the death will be very quickly. Firms will, same thing with, with engineering firms, I believe, that don't embrace the technology. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. I like that analogy because, you know, we deal a lot with coaching and training and companies are constantly coming to us saying, right now our biggest challenge is recruiting, right? Trying to find people. There's right. a lot of work out there. And to your point, you can almost look at this idea of a smart city and say cities that are innovative and, and smart are going to be more pleasurable places to live, really, and exist because it's convenient, it's efficient. The same goes for companies. Companies that are on the cutting edge with technology, young, up-and-coming engineers looking to be in a cutting-edge, innovative company are going to go work there and going to have a good experience. So that's a really good analogy. If you had a crystal ball, Joe, what would you see about the future, you know, thinking big picture, the future of these smart cities? What The next wave is going to be the rollout of 5G. I was just at a conference at NJIT. Um, uh, our, our company president, Tony uh, Bartolomeo, and myself uh, were on one of the panels uh, for a whole uh, day wrapped around 5G, right? So 5G will be the next 
big thing. I've heard uh, one of the things I heard that I thought that was that was very insightful was uh, 4G came out, mm-hmm. right? Um, and again, we just forget how fast things are going, right? Yeah. But we all remember dial-up modems, yeah. right? Moving data in a, in a dial-up modem, yeah. right? And listening to that tone Waiting to know we connect. had the connection um, or sending a fax. And that seems so archaic today. Yeah. We're talking, you know, that was less than 10 years ago. Yeah. The iPhone didn't exist more than 20 years ago, yeah. right? We just, I think we're so caught up in the technology, we don't see it moving so fast. But the, the next wave will be the, you know, the rollout of 5G, all the companies that are in that space, the Verizons, the Comcast, mm-hmm. the, you know, the T-Mobiles that are in that space are all laying and at the groundwork for the 5G network, right? One of the things I heard at the NJIT conference, which I thought was, was very insightful, was when 4G came out, there were companies that couldn't have existed prior Uber and Lyft. Yep. Uber and Lyft could not have existed without a 4G, uh-huh. right? So companies are, you know, got invented with nothing more than the technology of moving data faster. Right. What will 5G allow us to do? 5G will allow us to move data even faster, faster. You know, these, these, po- <laughs> these podcasts will stream, I don't know, say the speed of light because it's, it's, right. it's even faster now, right? Yeah. So they'll make cities even smarter, right? And so the, the cities that, have, that are embracing the 5G and assisting companies with the rollout of 5G will be smarter, faster. So the, the, the thing that I heard I thought was very insightful was what companies are going to be invented that we don't even know about? Right. Wrapped around 5G, 5G. Techno- technology, right? And again, it's even exponentially bigger than, you know, 4G was like tremendous, hooray, this is un- unbelievable. Well, 5G will be 10 times even more tremendous, yeah. you know, hooray, this is, this is really and we'll great. we'll bring up more opportunities with it. That, that we don't even know what they'll be, right. right? We don't even know what they'll be. The one thing I hear over and over again, just to stay on this for a because again, as engineering firms, we're, we're attached to this, right? We're, we understand a city issuing... I don't like the term. I really want to come back to municipal governments. Municipal governments issuing RFPs that we respond to. Right. And what that looks like from our perspective, right? It takes them months and months and months to develop an RFP. RFP. Right. It takes them months and months to get it on the street. Then it takes several months for firms to respond to it. Then it takes several months for contracts to be let. Then it takes cycle. several months for years for the project to be developed, right? right. In the smart world, one of the things I hear over and over and over again from the cities themselves is the procurement system. The procurement system has got to change at the, you know, they are saying that's a big issue for them because the technology is moving faster than the system. Oh. You can't wait months and months and years and years for these projects to right. happen because the technology will have passed it by, right? One of the things that all the cities are struggling with is the procurement. So you say, if I had a crystal ball, that's one thing that's, that even the cities recognize is their biggest, biggest issue that they have the in the smart space. So you see them putting energy and effort into upgrading that process or it's shortening, 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 shortening it. it. has to shorten yeah. the process. Yeah, hmm. yeah. It's got to change somehow, some way. Even, as I said, to that, that conference that I was at with uh, NJIT, the Comcast of the world and the T-Mobiles and the Verizons that are, that are you know, in that space pushing it out. Right. They're saying that's the biggest issue we have, you know, permitting, regulation. Right trying to make it happen because the technology right. is moving I mean, the technology to get the projects done is, is going faster, but right. the process to get to that is right. crawling. Right. So the two right. don't match up. And, 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 and crawling is a good word because, again, it, it may not seem like it's like, well, it's okay. We can take six months to do this. We can take a year to do that. We can take two years to do it. Right. You really can't. It's only because we're used to it probably. Right. 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 It's become right. normal. All right. So along those lines, Joe, if you had a magic wand you could help to move the smart cities along or increase the momentum around smart cities. What might you do? Procurement would definitely be one of them. Okay. No doubt about it because, you know, that's the biggest impediment to the municipal side of things. The other thing would be, though, 
And uh, I alluded earlier to the study that we were just involved with, eConsult here in Philadelphia, just did a worldwide study of 135 cities around the world in terms of where are cities in their cities around the world, literally around the world, uh, were put into three categories. Um, They were either a beginner city, a transitioning city, or a leader city in the smart city movement. That's interesting. Okay. And the idea was to, when you really, again, when you look at that, even a leader city will always be transitioning. And always be a beginner in some technology. But there are cities that are way out in front of the smart movement. There are cities that are transitioning into it. And there are cities that haven't begun their journey yet. And one of the interesting things to come out of the analysis of that study, because citizens were, were uh, not only were cities questioned you know, in the surveys that were put out, but businesses were surveyed and residents were surveyed, mm. right, as That's all the stakeholders. And the, there's a, a kind of a spreadsheet inside the study that shows kind of where Cities where they think their priorities are, right. where the businesses say their priorities are, and, and where the residents say their priorities are, right? And they're not on the same page. So really, really, municipal governments have to get, have to understand that they, they could be spending millions of dollars on something that is not important to their stakeholders. That's interesting. And I like this. Another analogy, at least for us, is sometimes when we go into engineering firms to do training, the first thing we do is we survey all the employees and we survey all the leadership. Right. The two don't yeah. match up. Don't match up. And that's exactly what you're saying. A city's going to go ahead and invest millions and millions of dollars in becoming smarter, but are they investing it in the right areas right. of that that the people who live there really need? Right. And, are, and so there's that connection that has to be made for sure, which is interesting. Let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity. You know, we hear threats about that. How about related to smart cities? How does it protect against it? How does it, does it ever open us up to it? Just talk about cybersecurity in general. Good topic. Again, is one of the issues that, are, that is front and foremost in uh, everybody's mind. You know, you, you look at a, a city like Atlanta, for example. Sure. You know, they were hacked. Okay. How did they get hacked? They got hacked through what we call a backdoor, right? They got hacked through a, uh, an HVAC contractor putting controls in buildings Mm. That allowed a, it opened up a back door into their systems, mm. right? So when we think about cybersecurity, one of the things we talk about all the time, and, it, and by the way, that was part of the, the Smarter Cities 2025 study around that, is that we, as this technology grows, cybersecurity becomes a bigger threat, right? Right, because there's more and more doors that are opened up into the technology that a city has. Plus, one of the other big problems with cities is they're very siloed. You know, the buildings department doesn't talk to the uh, health department. The health department doesn't talk to the police department. Police department doesn't talk to the fire department, right? So they're very siloed in the cities. And those silos also create areas of potential threat. threat. Uh, Yeah, and again, taking it back to to our business, right? There are are engineering firms that have been opened up to, you know, to hacks where their data has been captured and and they've been, you know, held, uh, you know, ransom Mm -hmm. to to have to pay a ransom, right, for it. So you look at a firm like ours and... Um, our IT director, um, you know, we talk about this all the time. We back up our data every 15 minutes. Did we back up our data every 15 minutes two years ago, three years ago, five years ago? No, but we do it today. Why do we do it today? Because if we do get hacked, right, and we do, somebody does call for a ransom, we just say, right. you know, thanks, but no thanks. We got our data from 15 minutes ago. We're good with that, right? right. So even firms, and I think cities are doing the same thing yeah. and businesses are doing the same thing. Because cybersecurity is becoming such a threat. But go back to your, to your house. What in your house is smart today that wasn't before? Oh, yeah. My washer is connected. Right. My, my refrigerator is connected. My car is connected. Right. right? All of the appliances in your house are now connected. Well, they are backdoor opportunities for somebody to get into your own home that didn't exist before. I was telling the story, uh, uh, we just rescued a cat. 
where are you going with this, Joe, with that cat being smart, right? <laughs> and uh, my wife brings home a, you know, used to be back in the day, there was a wind-up mouse yeah. that you would put on the floor. You'd wind it up, right. put it on the floor, and the, ma- the cat would chase the mouse around. My wife goes on Amazon. And again, you can talk about Amazon as a company and, and oh, wrap yeah. around the whole technology. But um, she orders a, a, online, and uh, what do I have to do? I have to put an app on her phone to control the mouse for the cat to chase the mouse. So that app is another... You could be probably in another country who knows the smart mouse for your cat at home, right? Who knows where this mouse came from, right? What country it came from. Right. Oh, what, yeah, right. What's in there in terms of what, potential what's, threats? What, what's in there in terms of potential threats, right? Because it, it probably wasn't made in America, right? Right. We have to think about it that these, you know, these countries that are out there. I'm always thinking about it because I just got a new iPhone because I went to the store and my camera wasn't working. So they're like, listen, it's going to cost you more to fix the camera. Just get the newest version. Right. Right. So then the other day, my wife is like, give me your phone. She's trying to talk to the the Siri. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I didn't turn it on yet. I'm still nervous. (laughs) I mean, I've used it in the past, but now you're hearing all the stuff like Siri's listening to you. Right. And you start getting ads and stuff. And again, I don't know how true that is, but so I still haven't turned it on yet. But again. That's annoying because, like, today I'm trying to get directions and you want to just say, Siri, show me how to get to Pannoni. So it's a balance. I mean, listen, with everything good, there's bad, there's potential threats. And so, like you said, there's a lot of positives. Like, it can help these departments to sync up quicker and better. Mm -hmm. But if they're not, it also presents a threat. So I would assume it's just something that we have to deal with if we want to maximize and utilize smart cities. And it's just going to be another focus in it. We're we're not going to – look, the technology has got – it's on a path of its own, right? We've got – too many smart people in this world developing the technology, working on the technology. If you look at just autonomous vehicles, right? How's that going to change a city? Yeah, right. You know, the city of Jacksonville right now has an RFP out to look at all of their transit stations, in terms of how are if we're looking at our transit stations, we have to be aware that five years, no more than ten years out, autonomous vehicles will be there. And how's that going to change the way that people will drive around a city right. of Philadelphia? Right. I hear a lot of conversation now about parking garages. Are they going to be necessary? How do we repurpose parking garages? In the best world, they're going to be rideshare. They're going to be electric. They're going to have to be electric. Right. All autonomous vehicles will be electric. And if I were to go here to any engineering firm and talk about autonomous vehicles, there's going to be a contingency of engineers. Yeah. Never happened. Guys, go back to CAD. Never happened. Yeah. Autonomous vehicles is not a question of if. It's a question of when. when. Because there's too many smart people in the world developing all the technology to make them happen. And again, the engineer will say, well, geez, yes, but in in the intersections that we design, it can't happen because of this, it can't happen because of that. We won't be designing the car to the intersection, we'll be designing the intersection to the car. Right. So everything that you've designed in the past is going to have to be redesigned, rethought, repurposed, restructured around the autonomous vehicle. So to be a naysayer, to say it'll never happen... It's just well, you're being be, foolish. You're going to be left behind. Your company is going to be left behind. Your company like we talked about before. Exactly. So, what are some of the barriers, Joe, for a city to become or adopt some smart city measures and become a smart city? Because I'm sure there are barriers or you know challenges. I've mentioned probably already, right? Some of the barriers are the the procurement system, definitely a, a barrier. Cybersecurity, definitely a barrier. The silo of the the siloing of the departments in the city, a barrier, right? You know, there's a number of things that are out there. And again, the infrastructure, the infrastructure is there's going to have to be a, you know, a thought process of the infrastructure around mobility. Because mobility is going to be, we don't even use the word in the smart space, we don't even use the word transportation systems. We use the word mobility. Right, because mobility means it's a whole lot different in the smart discussion than it is in the the, the traditional transportation right. system. 
So mobility, you look at a city like San Diego, right? There's, you know, scooters and bikes and, you know, ride sharing and, and, you know, all of the things around mobility that are going to be totally different in the smart space. This is kind of a question I think we can run another analogy on. You have a smart city or, a, or residents in a city that want it to be smart or smarter. And let's, you also have engineers that work in an engineering company that they want to be more innovative and not so left in the dust, so to speak. What are these residents or employees, like how, what kind of conversations can they have with these entities to move these innovative processes along? If they have, I mean, what can they do? It's like I said before, if you're not adopting the technologies, you're not going to attract the businesses and the people. Right. And I think cities are not, are not even going to, if they're not forward thinking and, and having the conversations, then people are just going to look to other places. Other places yeah. um, and, you know, that's where they're, they're going to gravitate to. We already know where they are. You know, we know what cities are being innovative and forward thinking. And, and um, a lot of conversation about the different generations, you know, the boomers and the millennials and the Gen Xers and, you know, all of that type of stuff. And um, going back to that NJIT conference, a conversation, you know, a, Gen X, a millennial saying, look, I don't want a car. I don't need a car. I'll never buy a car. I can do everything I need, you know, with an app on my phone, right? right. And get anywhere I need to be with an app on my phone, yep. right? And, you know, from the boomer standpoint, you know, you're not listening to me. Well, the implication at this conference was that because I'm a boomer, I don't get it. Well, I do get it. Certainly, there's a lot of folks in my generation that, that aren't to the technology point that, that they should be, right. right? But I expect certain things to happen off an app on my phone. It's the same way that, that a Gen Xer or, or a millennial might. And I think it's, it is changing the mindset of everything that we do yeah. from how we move around and, and how we do things and, and the expectations. What do I have on my phone? I know I can get the weather on my phone. I know I can call an Uber you know, on my yeah. phone or Lyft, right? Um, what can you do on your phone? You know, what phone? can I do on my phone? So where my schedule is, yeah. and, you know? terms of, of finding things and, and emails and, you know, I live off yeah, of my phone, right? Of course. Um, so else, yeah. if I was a survivalist, the one thing I'd, I'd definitely have to have is the internet and my phone. And yeah. you could you could put me wherever you want to be, but I'll survive. <laughs> I'll figure out how to, how to eat something and cook something and everything else. <laughs> I always tell the story. I said, like, I had a heart attack many years ago. It's, it's been, my health's been, you know, great uh, for, you know, 20 years. And I was young when I had it and I had Blackberry. Now that sounds like, again, like yeah. something that you would have used What's in the that? Stone Ages, right? So, I, you know, I remember saying, I said, where's my BlackBerry when I you know, was, was with it and back in the hospital bed? Well, you know, they said you shouldn't have it. I said, if you want me to have another heart attack, take away my BlackBerry, right? So it's <laughs> so oh bring me my BlackBerry so I can survive. I know, you're right. So, I mean, right? People are so reliant on these things. Yeah. It's like second nature. Like, yeah. where is it? You're looking yeah. for it. It's, it's there automatically. But I think there's a lines in the sand drawn that the... Gen Xers only do this, and the Millennials only do this, and the Boomers only do that, and the Gen Ys do this. And I don't think so. I think it's kind of kind of all runs together. Yeah. Anymore, it really is. And you know, are there are there people that are both sides of the spectrum? Sure, there are. But yeah, no. But I get surprised all the time by people that are a lot older that are really engaged with the technology. Yeah. I think you're right. I think the lines are coming away. And yeah. They're, they're disappearing more. Yeah. I just bought a new TV the other night. Probably take me three or four months to figure out everything that it does, and I probably never will know right. everything that it does. For sure. Right? It's way smarter than I'll ever be. Yeah. But I know there's a lot of technology there that I'm going to try to figure out, but, you know, it's like everything is smart. Everything is smart. We're going to wrap this segment up because I want to talk to Joe a little bit, a couple of career questions on our, on our hot seat segment at the end. But just to wrap this up, Joe, you obviously have done a lot with Smart Cities research. You travel to conferences. You go all over if someone out there wants to kind of keep up on this stuff, just learn about smart cities, what are some resources that they can use? Or I know that there's been reports out and different things. Right, right. What can you recommend? You'll see 
conferences and trade shows everywhere on the topic today. Okay. And I think it's becoming a little bit overused in terms of the conferences and trade shows. You know, everybody's yeah. trying to get into the space because it's, it's a trendy space. Uh, we're members of the Smart City Council. You know, that's a, a sort of, a, you know, non-political um, entity uh, headquartered in D.C. Okay. Um, started years ago. They're sort of the, the standard bearers of a lot of things. They, they have their D.C. conferences coming up. I always try to go back to the, you know, people that have been in it for the longest amount of time. Or the you know good the, the, the good resources uh, for and there's it. a study wasn't there a study or the hyperconnected we've alluded to that a couple of times uh, Pannoni Mastercard uh, Accenture Oracle a number of uh, big worldwide companies sponsored this uh, study that eConsult did on the Smarter Cities 2025 that is on our website you can go to our website we have we'll an link to that for sure yeah you know, innovation page and that there's 94 slides a lot of information there about it and then. Um, Part two of that, which we're into right now, is, is building a hyper-connected, the title of it is Building a Hyper-Connected City. And that's part two of the study. And that's going to have some benchmarking tools in there for cities to understand. But the, I think the, the biggest thing that you'll get out of, of that, those 94 slides and that information, again, is that, that the understanding of you know, what cities in the world are, are leading-edge cities, mm-hmm. what cities are, are transitioning, and what cities are beginners. But as I said earlier, Every city will always be a beginner in technology because there's going to be new technologies. Right. Everybody's a beginner in autonomous vehicles, right? Right. Um, because it's you know we're not there yet. However, there are cities like Las Vegas, for example, that are way out in front of autonomous because they yeah. already have autonomous shuttles running down the strip. Really? In Las Vegas, uh, there are cities that have been early adopters and way out in front of the AV space. Like there always will be, like right. you said. All right. Well, you can get some resources there. We'll link to those resources. Stick around now. I'm going to come back. We're here at Pannoni with Joe Viscuso. We're going to just pepper Joe on a couple last questions around his career. Stick with us. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Hot Seat segment with Joe Viscuso of Pannoni. But before we put Joe on the hot seat, I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated through the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. Mazer Consulting has a civil site group located in their Hamilton, New Jersey office for which they are currently seeking a project engineer and project manager, as well as an engineer position. The engineering role would include performing design tasks, such as grading and drainage associated with civil engineering projects. For the PM role, Mazer is seeking a qualified individual to grow the engineering business. This person will be responsible for developing the civil site engineering discipline in this market, as well as assisting in growing existing disciplines. Main responsibilities include developing business, building staff, and generating and maintaining clients. Let's jump into the civil engineering hot seat segment. All right, we're back. Joe, you ready for the civil engineering hot seat? Ready to go. All right, let's do it. All right, first question. Are there any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a morning routine, lunchtime routine, something that you do that has contributed to your success? The biggest thing that I try to do, and it's old school conventional, right, is that that my traditional to-do list, right? 
I constantly keep it. I constantly keep it updated because we move at such a fast pace. Right. We'll get done this interview. I'll go to my computer. There'll be five things on there that I didn't know about that just happened that are now going to be have to be part of my to-do list. Okay. Right. So I make sure I immediately get things onto that list. I update it. Um, you know, I keep it in a Word document. I update it as frequently as I possibly can just to remind myself of what's got to be the highest priority on my list. And then when I do get to my office in the morning, I try to jot down the three or four things that I want to accomplish that I got to get done that from to, that list from that list okay. that have to happen that day. Okay. Right. I think what a lot of people they get frustrated because, as I just said, the list just keeps growing. Right. For all of us, because it's the, the world just moves so fast. The emails come, the phone calls come, the text messages right. come, everything, everything comes. comes so fast. For me, it's a feeling of a sense of accomplishment right. to know that. I crossed three or four things off the list that day, but, yeah. and they had to get done that day. I try to keep a running list of all things. Some things may be a month out. They may be six months out, right? right? I'm getting ready to speak at a conference in New Orleans in uh, October. That's been on my calendar for nine months, right. right? What do I have to do to prep for that? Well, the biggest thing I have to do is my slide deck together. So, you know, that's... It's not it's, something you have to do today. It's not something I have to do today, but I've been developing it over the last couple of months, you right. know? The worst thing you can do is wait to the day before it's yeah, due. Yeah, for sure. Right? You know? Well, you know, I think what's important of what, what Joe said there is having a to-do list is a good thing, but going through it each day and prioritizing it is also an important thing because I think, like you said, checking things off, especially as engineers, as kind of analytical thinkers, checking things off does make us feel good, but we could be checking off the wrong things too, right? right? And not focusing on the big things. So it's good to hear that. All right, next question. What's one book that you might recommend to engineers regularly or just one book of any kind that has been very helpful for you in your career or your professional development? I'll say a genre. Again, because I do love the technology and how mm -hmm. things are changing, I think anything from Steve Jobs, right? Okay. Um, because the guy was a forward thinker. Yeah. He was an innovator. But also if you look at his business acumen and his thought process, so books about him, quotes from him, I'll quote him a lot, Okay. even here at Pannoni right. with things that, that I put out. I just think that anything, in it, to me, he was the godfather of the innovator. Of, of, of the innovator. They're, they're, I mean, obviously, we've been innovating for years, right. but it's sort of what's the one thing you point to that, that accelerated it, you know, poured the, the gas on the fire, right. right? And it really was the iPhone and all the technology around it that just, just sped it up you know, yeah. to that exponential. No, I like speed. that because, it, like we said earlier, if you're thinking about innovating as a company, it's nice to have things like that where you can say, you know, what would Steve Jobs have done here? Right. What would he be thinking? Right. What would Apple have done here? Right. Or something like that to give a frame of reference to your leadership right. Right? and the people around you to right. keep them going. And to the point where, again, because he's current, because people, everybody knows who he is, it resonates with everybody in the firm regardless of age. Right, yeah. So it, re it resonates with everybody. Yeah, he's an inspiring guy, right. Right? But I think his, you know, forget the innovation stuff, his thoughts on business and the growth of a business and, and what you have to pay attention to. Right. Even those kind of things are, I think, you know, people give him credit for the, and look, he failed. Yeah. If you really know his history, he failed. But he got back up on the horse in a big way. The things that he did early in his career, he was a complete failure. Could have thrown in the towel. A lot of people would have thrown in the towel. No, the reason I asked that question is because, you know, you can find information online easily around Steve Jobs right. and his philosophy, and it's out there and available. And I think hopefully some of the listeners will do that, and it can have an effect, uh, an impact on them. All right, two more questions. You've had, a, I'm sure, several managers throughout your career that you've worked for. You don't have to name names, or you can, but if you had to remember one of your favorite, a couple of your favorite managers, what was it that made you remember them? What did they do that was special? I'm a people person. So I think that managers that pay attention to their people, I mean, what's the biggest asset at a Pannoni? 
it's the 1,200 people that work here, right? right? And that's our biggest asset. And I think you have to pay attention to that asset. And I think the, the managers that made me feel like I was part of the process, that I was important when I was a junior engineer, when I was a project manager, that took the time to, you know, to mentor me. Right. That's what resonated. And it can, you know, there's obviously been uh, quite a few of them, sure. you know, over my, I don't have the, the interesting thing about my career. It's not like I've, my movement from firm to firm, I've only been with, uh, it was a starting out and then having my own firm right. and then that firm merged with a firm and that firm got sold to right. a firm. So really, you know, most of my career was was really with one firm, you know, being in that, and then the movement here to Pannoni. But I think of, of those managers that paid attention to the asset. That's great. And the asset is the people. All right, last question, Joe. You get into an elevator with a young, up-and-coming civil engineering professional. You have about 30 seconds with him or her to give them some kind of career advice. What do you tell them? I go back to what I said before, you know, that pay attention to the innovation. A project will always be a project. At the end of the year, that's what an engineer does in terms of providing the, that good advice to the client based on the best information that we have available to us. But again, you're going to have to be current in the technology because it's, it's just changing so fast. I'll leave you with, my, and Katie knows this, one of my favorite analogies around the company is engineers like to say we block and tackle, or engineers we block and tackle. That's right. what engineers do, right? And that's true. That's the core of the onion. I'm a big football fan. Mm-hmm. If you watch football, on the field, they're blocking and tackling. On the sidelines, what are they doing? It's all data analytics with yeah. Microsoft Surface right. computers. Yeah, they're all looking right? at the tablets. All, you know, the tendencies. If we do this, they're going to do this. This is what this is telling us. If I took away this, the Microsoft Surface computers from... I'm an Eagles fan. If I took it from, yeah. away from, and uh, tonight I think they're our first preseason game playing the Titans. If I took it away from the Titans and only the Eagles had the computers, what would the results of that game be? For sure. Right? doesn't matter how on the field they're blocking and tackling. It's the technology that's getting you there today that is totally different. So I think as the young engineers, I think, seem to get that. And as I said before, they're going to gravitate to the firms that understand the importance of that technology. That's great. And it's funny because I, I tell my kids a lot if we're watching sports and let's say their team's losing at halftime by a number of points, I'll say, listen, they're still in the game because what they're doing right now is they're in the locker room looking at film. Yeah. <laughs> and they're making adjustments. Yeah. And the same thing goes in your career. If your career hasn't gone well the first few years, make sure you keep a beat on what's working and what's not working right. and make adjustments. Right. Maybe by learning an innovative technology or becoming an expert in smart cities, it's going to give you a tool that can propel you in your career. There's tons of data available to us today. Like Joe said, you can use it to your advantage. Your firm can use it to your advantage because if you're not, you can bet that someone else is. That's exactly right. Right. Joe Viscuso, Pannoni, Joe, thanks for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. We're going to link to all the resources that Joe mentioned so you can start to look and learn about smart cities. And Joe, thanks again. Pleasure, Anthony. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joe Viscuso. What I really took away from it myself is, which is interesting, we, we went there to talk about smart cities and technology, and Joe did, and all the 5G stuff, it's interesting, and it's something we all need to keep a beat on for sure. But what he kept alluding to and giving us analogies for, which I think was even more interesting to me, was if cities want to be relevant, they need to become smart. But if engineering companies want to maintain relevancy, they need to be smart. And taking it one step further, if you as an engineer in your career want to be relevant and you want to grow and advance and be a leader in the field, you need to be innovative and ahead of the curve in terms of technology yourself. And not just technology, but just you just need to be ahead of the curve. And I'll I'll give you an example of this. Matthew Luce, a civil engineer down in Texas that you heard about probably from me on the podcast because we published his book. He wrote a book called The Business of Engineering, A Mindset for the Engineer of the Future. 
And I love the book and we ended up publishing it through a Kickstarter, thanks to many of you. But here's a guy who noticed people that were successful around him. He had some success himself and he decided to put it into a framework for other engineers and write a book about it. And that's really helping him get an advantage in his career. So what can you do to differentiate yourself, to innovate, to get yourself out there? And that's really, I think, a big takeaway from this episode. So again, I hope that you really did enjoy it. And I also do want to mention, once again, our CMAP case study, the diagnostic tool that we're building. That's also an innovative thing, right? No one has a diagnostic tool specifically built for engineering managers. So if you're an engineering manager, why not get involved in our case study and get a quick diagnosis on how you stack up versus some of the great engineering managers of the past? You can do so by just emailing Betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Again, that's Betty at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 124. You'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. We're also broadcasting this episode in video format on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering career endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 